welcome to the Author Wheel Podcast, where we believe there's no single right way to produce, publish, or promote your work. Only what's right for you. In every episode, we'll talk about common writing roadblocks and how to overcome them so you can keep your stories rolling. Welcome to the Author Wheel Podcast. I'm Megan Haskell, award-winning fantasy author of the Signare Chronicles and the Rise of Lilith series. And I'm Greta Boris, USA Today best-selling author of The Mortician Murders and the soon-to-be-released Almost True Crime series. In today's Quick Tips episode, we are talking about a painful topic. Oh. Oh, how do you deal with disappointment? Yes. Yes. And there are many of them. This career is rife with dis- potential disappointments, right? Yes. yes. This, is, this is honestly one of those careers where it's like, if you didn't have to do it, if you didn't feel that drive to write story and, and create worlds and entertain people, don't do it. <laughs> not going to make a million dollars. It's not a quick, quick, get rich, quick scheme. So there's a lot of just, there's a lot of hardship in this job, unfortunately, but it can be so rewarding as well. Yeah. And I would say anything like in the arts is that way. I mean, yeah acting, music. And in fact, those kind of disappointments can be even worse. We've had a couple of people on the podcast who've had careers, acting careers. And, you know, they're like, well, if I could deal with that rejection, I could deal with anything. (laughs) So lest we think, you know, that we are the, you know, the the most hard hit with this. We are not. We are not. I think people who get in front of people and entertain uh, have it harder than we do. However, we do have disappointments. So we're the different kinds. I'll say one of the first is if you are trying to go traditional, pitching stories. It's you are a hundred percent going to get rejections. How many, how many rejections did you get before you got your deal? I think it was 75. Yeah. That's Ouch. a lot. That's a That's lot. A lot. Yeah. But but Famous authors, you know, J.K. Rowling had, I can't remember the number, but some large number of rejections before she finally sold Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, I think Stephen King had more than me with Carrie. Yeah. He was up in the hundreds. I think that's, I think that's true. I don't, don't quote us on the numbers, but lots and lots and lots of very, very famous, very, very successful authors had to deal with dozens, if not hundreds of of rejections from publishers um, before they got their first deal. So, you know, I, a funny thing I read on um, JK Rowling's, uh, I think it was in Twitter. She was talking, she, she put up a letter that she got, you know, when she decided, when she moved away from Harry Potter and she was writing the adult crime, Mm -hmm. which I'm blanking on what the name of the series is right now. But uh, I read the first book too. But so anyway, she was pitching that and she was pitching it under a pen name because she didn't want publishers to think that, you know, just to take it because she's mm-hmm. J.K. Rowling, you know, so she pitched it under this pen name and she actually posted with the appropriate names and stuff blocked out a letter she got from a publishing house. And it basically told her that she needed to take writing classes. Amazing. That she was a very, you know, she just didn't really know what she was doing yet. She was not ready to, um, so Mm -hmm. lest 
So there, that should make you feel a little bit better if you're getting rejections. Yeah. But so one thing you can do too is turn it, it into a numbers game. Our episode with Jonathan Yanez, uh, he told us an analogy about like if you had a bin with a, a hundred red balls in it and there was only one green ball and you had to put on a blindfold and reach your hand in, that's kind of what it's like pitching agents and stuff, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but each time you throw away that red ball, you're closer to the green ball. You're closer to the green ball, right? You're you're statistically more likely to draw that green ball on the next turn. Right, right. Yeah. So if you look at, and that's kind of what I did when I was pitching, I would just say a certain number every week had to go in the, out in the, you know, emails. Mm-hmm. And then when it got rejections, I was just like, okay, knock that one off. That wasn't the one for me, you know, next and, and so on. So, yeah. Another kind of disappointment that we do run into are the same as you get in actually in any phase of life in school and uh, family and jobs is uh, relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, writers are like everybody else. And some people you hit it off with and some you don't. And I've talked to people who did that pitch, pitch, pitch. They finally got an agent. They thought that it was just going to change their life. And then they didn't hit it off. Their agent wasn't, uh, was big disappointment mm-hmm. and it didn't work out for them. Or maybe you've tried to co-write a book with somebody and you you really like them, but then you realize your writing styles are too, you know, they don't work together. Those things are disappointments. But I think that it's important to recognize that no single person is going to make or per- break your career unless you allow them to. Mm-hmm. You know, you just kind of, it, it's a similar thing. You just got to kind of chalk it up to, well, tried that and move on and try the next thing. Which is kind of the same with launch launches when you launch a book, right? Um, no, like, especially if you're indie, if you're, if you're traditional, there's a little bit more nuance to this, but especially if you're indie, one bad launch is not going to end your career. You can always, you know, revise the book and republish it, publish it under a different title. You can always start a new pen name and publish, you know, a new series or a new genre under a new pen name. There are so many ways to hit the refresh button that worrying about that one launch that didn't go the way you wanted it to is kind of, I mean, it's, it sucks, right? It hurts. Sure. But it's also kind of silly because you can always keep going. Again, there's a little nuance there, but, but for the most part, like some books are going to hit that market just spot on and like take off rocket ship to the moon, bestseller status. They're lightning in a bottle, but it does happen. Some books, especially debut novels more commonly, are kind of sleepers, right? Like maybe they take a, a while to get going or maybe the series, um, you know, you have to publish several books in the series before it starts to take off. So you might have to invest, you know, a few years and three, four, five books before you actually get get that uh, return that you're looking for. And some never resonate, right? But it really like taking a look at what you published, where the market was, what's happening, where you are as a writer, all of those things can sort of give you new information and you can always hit that refresh button if you need to. So here's my question for you, Megan. How do you know if you wrote a book and say it's book one in a series and you plan to do, make this a trilogy, right? Yeah. 
how do you know it's a and that launch fizzles? Whether that book, it's not really worth your time and energy to write the next two because that book is never going to resonate. Or this is just a sleeper that needs some extra love, it needs a few more books, a little more marketing dollars, maybe a new cover, a new whatever. How, how do you know? I think a lot of it comes down to analyzing that book and the current situation, right? I had a book that I launched that fizzled um, because I launched it right at the beginning of COVID, quite honestly. I knew it was a good book. It it actually uh, was a reader's favorite book award, honorary mention, honorable mention um, in the fantasy category. Um, so it was a good book. I it, When I sell it at conventions and conferences and things like that, it does really well. People seem to really like it, but it just never took off. I could never get get it off the ground. Um, now, to be fair, I have not continued that series yet because of COVID and certain mindset challenges that I faced, but uh, I do plan to continue that series and will try again in the future. Um, but that was, COVID was a big problem for that book. It was just bad timing. Uh, you can also ask other writers or people in the publishing industry what they think went wrong. Do they think it's a good enough book? Be open to that criticism. Maybe it needs another editing pass. Maybe it needs a different cover. Maybe it didn't quite hit the target audience properly or it didn't have the tropes represented or something like that. Ask your readers. And this we're going to get into this more later, but you can look at those reviews. If you're seeing things on those reviews that are craft related, like there are a lot of typos, right? If a lot of people are saying there were a lot of typos, go back and edit it again, hire a, another proofreader or something like that and see if you can get it off the ground. Ultimately, you know, data is power. Understanding what went wrong, what happened, getting outside feedback and, you know, uh, ob objective eyes objective opinions that that will ultimately tell you if if i think it's worth continuing or not and then also what do you want to write are you still happy writing this series then finish it do what you want to do you're you're an author like you're a creative person just go for it right if you want to do it if you're telling the story that you want to read go for it um it might not work in the market but maybe that's not the goal really you know yeah and i have definitely heard about um, authors who've who've had a book or or a trilogy or a series or whatever that didn't do much for years, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden something changed in the zeitgeist, and uh, somebody discovered their book and it just blew up mm -hmm. years and years later. Yeah, I've also heard the advice that you have to write at least three books in a series before you can tell if it's going to do well in the market, because a lot of readers won't start a new series, a book one, if they if they don't see a continuation of the series. They don't want to be burned. They don't want to have the series like never finish or, you know, take years between books. They, they're binge readers. They want to keep going. So at least three books before you can really tell if readers will pick it up. Yeah. So sometimes you just have to give it time. That was so true with my Mortician series. The first, I mean, it didn't do badly you know, they were popular with my list. Like I knew readers liked them and the reviews were good, but I, I didn't even really bother marketing until I launched book three mm -hmm. because I just thought there, 
that's the kind of book it is. People are going to want to get in there and they're going to want at least three books before they. Yep. And every time I publish a new book, I get new readers who are looking for that longer series. Yeah. So yeah, that's very true. So you mentioned reviews. Yeah. What do you do with bad reviews? Well, I try to avoid reading them (laughs) (laughs) because they generally bum me out. And often like it, I would say one and two stars. And I think I heard um, some, an author say this on the, on a podcast. It was on the Writing Excuses podcast. Mary, can't think of her name. She's on the Writing. Robinette. Yeah. Mary Robinette. Cool. Is that right? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So she, she said this and I thought this was great advice. And it was that generally one and two stars mean you've just, you're, there's something wrong with your marketing. You've reached the wrong reader. Mm-hmm. They were expecting something different than what they got. Four and five stars, they're fun to read, but they're often not that helpful because they're usually people just raving. But it's nice to know what people like. And there's a use for good reviews, which we'll talk about in a, in a couple of minutes. But um, those three stars, they can be valuable and a little painful because they're usually, they're saying this book is a good book, but, and that can be a place um, where you, you do some assessment. So if you did get a bunch of those and they're all saying the same thing, like you said about, you know, you need to re-edit or something like that, 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 you know, that is something then to address. Um, But sometimes these are funny. Like I had one I had two three-star reviews, I think, on the first book in the Mortician series. And one of them said, or maybe it's the second book, one of them said, this book is not paranormal enough. It's, it, it's, it's saying it's paranormal, but it's not paranormal enough. You know, like, where's the, where's the ghosts? Where's the vampires? There's no vampires. Uh, where's the whatever? And then the other review, three-star review said, I really like this book, but it was too paranormal. <laughs> right yeah. so right there that means to me well I don't need to worry about this the vast majority of the reviews are happy uh, with what they got therefore I'm I'm marketing them okay mm-hmm. you know the, these these two individuals were obviously looking for something slightly different than what they got but that's probably not my fault however if I was getting a ton of three-star reviews that said this book is not paranormal enough I might want to think about recategorizing changing my uh you know where the book was showing up and and how I what the subtitle was or what the metadata was or making sure it showed up in the right category a different category so that's something to think about yeah with bad reviews yeah but if you do read your bad reviews and they kind of bum you out, one <laughs> one thing that I like to do is go back to some of my favorite authors, classic authors, Jane Austen, Pride and Prejudice, one of my favorite books of all time. I reread it every few years. Read her one star review. <laughs> I, I know. Because, that make oh you my feel God. Good? Yeah. Yes. There are so many negative reviews of like these phenomenal authors or your favorite author. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's Stephen King, right? Or maybe it's, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of other good examples of like just really famous, really fabulous authors that so many people love that are household names and they're going to have one and two star reviews. And, and sometimes they're kind of funny. Like, 
I remember reading one for Pride and Prejudice where the the reviewer was like, this book just seems outdated. Like who talks like this? This there's no there's no action in this story. <laughs> like what do you think you're reading? <laughs> yeah. Do you not know when this book was written? Right. Yeah. 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 Um so that always kind of gives me a little bit of a boost of confidence um so that I know that, you know, we're not alone. Yeah. Absolutely. You're never alone in this. And then the other thing that uh, I've seen other authors do, which I have not done myself, but I always try to think about how I could or what I would do. But um, one of my friends, Rachel Renner, she was actually on the show um, back in the fall of 2023. So you can go back and listen to her episode if you want. Uh, She was talking about her Kickstarter campaign and stuff. But in any case, one of her favorite things to do is take her one and two star reviews and spin them into a positive, um, which she then uses for advertising. So if you have a bad review, a negative review that, and I, I don't remember, I didn't look it up. I probably should have, but um, I didn't look up the specific one I was thinking of, but there's, if you had a one star review that said, "Ugh, this is just, there's, there's too much romance in this story for in her case because hers is a kind of a paranormal romance right it's too much romance it's too too spicy um she'll post that up and be like one star too spicy okay that's my target audience right like that's actually <laughs> selling her book to her target audience because she missed the the target with that one reader who gave it the one star but she can spin it into hey if you like you know spicy paranormal romance, then guess what? This book is for you. Check out this one star. It was so spicy. Somebody like negatively reviewed it, you know? Um, and so you can, you can spin it into a positive. I, I've seen a couple of authors do that. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That's really, and I think that's good for your uh, own psyche too, even yeah. if you don't use it for advertising. Yeah. You know? Yeah. If you, if you look at that one star review and you can go, Okay, well, that person wasn't my... T- so one of my my favorite one-star reviews was a very early one-star review on um, The Last Descendant, which was my debut novel. And all it said was one star, yuck. <laughs> which every time, I, I, it makes me laugh because the reason it didn't resonate with that reader was because, yeah, it's a little violent, right? Like there's some... Yeah. There are carnivorous pixies in this story, people. I mean, it's in the description. <laughs> The first chapter has a lot of spurting blood. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, and and so it just was not my target audience. And so I can laugh at that, even though it's a one-star review, because it was just such a wide miss. Yeah. Uh, And I've seen other people do that too. I think that's uh, a great way. And it kind of takes a bad review and turns it into a good review. Yeah, exactly. And so so just a quick note on good reviews, which is not exactly dealing with disappointments because good reviews are not disappointing, but we might as well end on a, on a happy note. Yeah. So when you do get really good reviews, um, save them and use them. Like I use them in my Facebook ads all, mm-hmm. all the time. Like I'll put, you know, I had one that was, uh, what's better than finding a story uh, you can't, a new, what's better than finding a new mystery you can't put down, finding out it's a series. I couldn't have written that. I mean, that was great. It was like that went into all kinds of advertising material. And that was really a review from one of my readers. So I like to comb the four and five stars mm-hmm. for uh, for those kind of lines and use them in advertising. I send them to my list when I'm kind of marketing a new book and 
all of that. So that's a great thing to do. And then also just save them to a file to read when you get a bad review. Guess mm-hmm. <laughs> it could just boost you back up again. There are people, yeah. you know, yes, I am okay. My mother loves me. Um, so here you go. Read your good reviews. Your, your readers, some of your readers are going to love you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the nice thing about keeping your good reviews sort of top of mind is that it can actually be really motivating for that long-term career, which next week we are going to talk more about career sustainability and how to take care of yourself and your writing long-term. So until then, keep your stories rolling. Are you an aspiring author? Stop by www.authorwheel.com slash stuff to download the top five writing roadblocks aspiring authors must overcome. Thank you for listening to the Author Wheel Podcast, hosted by Greta Boris and Megan Haskell, edited by Jim Wilborn.